We're going to be in the catechism again tonight, and uh, a few weeks ago we looked at a, use the catechism to develop a simple summary of baptism. Tonight we'll use the catechism to develop a simple summary of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be reading tonight from Luke chapter 21, verses 14 through 23, Luke 21, 14 through 23, and then we'll also using the catechism, but let's go to Luke first. Luke 21, uh, verses 14 through 23. That doesn't look right. (laughs) Bet you I can find it. Let's see. Is it 22? Where's the institution of the Lord's Supper? 22, let's try that one. Luke 22, 14 through 23. This is what we read there. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup... That is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been written, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it would be who was going to do this. And then we're going to read from Lord's Day 28 of the Catechism. If you have a bulletin, you'll see it printed on the inside there, at least uh, a couple of the questions and answers. Nope, that's the one we need. Um, Lord's Day 20. If you don't have a bulletin, you'll find it on page 893 in the gray hymnal. Page 893 in the gray hymnal. I'd like to read these together, so I'll read question 75. Let's read the answer together. I read question 76, and we'll read the answer together. Question and answer 75 asks, How does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all His gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup. With this command, He gave this promise. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, 
So surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, and by believing, to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although He is in heaven and we are on earth, We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit, as members of our body are by one soul. Let's ask God's blessing in our study tonight. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are eager again to consider the truth of your word. We thank you for your word as it's revealed to us through Luke's gospel and in other places that will be tonight in your scripture, but also we thank you for your word as it's interpreted by the catechism, Lord, and we trust and believe that the catechism is a gift from you to your church, a means by which we can better understand and grasp our faith. Lord, we know that it is not inspired uh, like your word is, and and yet it speaks truth. Uh, and it gives what we believe is an accurate and faithful summary of your word. And so we pray that you would use both of these tools to help us grow in grace and in our faith tonight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Again, as I mentioned earlier, when we studied baptism, I prefer to keep things as simple as possible when it comes to theology. Uh, And so while we could spend a lot of time tonight laying out a theology of the Lord's Supper, and we could dig into the differences between the likes of John Calvin, Martin Luther, and Ulrich Zwingli, three reformers who agreed on almost everything except the Lord's Supper. They could not agree on the Lord's Supper, which is why we have Lutherans, and which is why we have Reformed people, and nobody actually knows what happened to Zwingli's people, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Anyways, um, they couldn't agree on the Lord's Supper. We could spend all night Uh, assessing their various understandings of the Lord's Supper uh, and the nature of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Uh, But again, I'm thankful that the Catechism sets forth what I think is a pretty simple summary of uh, the Lord's Supper in Lord's Day 28. And what that simple summary of the Lord's Supper is, is this. The Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ to be received by faith for the nourishment of our souls. That'll be our outline tonight, that summary. The Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ to be received by faith for the nourishment of our souls. So first, the Lord's Supper is a tangible sign. The word tangible means perceptible by touch. The Lord's Supper is is a tangible sign. It is something that uh, is perceptible by touch. And this this is significant, all right, because the Christian faith 
is not primarily tangible. The Christian faith is primarily audible. All right? The Christian faith is primarily a religion of the ear. We've talked about this earlier in our study of the sacraments. Faith comes from what? Hearing. That's Romans 10, 17. So the Christian faith is primarily a religion of the ear. We are people of the spoken word, God's spoken word. And yet we, right, we are not primarily creatures of the ear, are we? We are creatures who have five senses. We hear, but we also uh, see, we also smell, we also taste, and we also touch, right? Now, God uh, knows this about us. He knows who we are. He, he knows how we are formed. He created us in our inmost being. And so, in the sacraments, and I think especially in the Lord's Supper, God accommodates these other senses in order that we might understand the gospel in a more deeper, that's not, that's too much, a deeper and more profound way. Uh, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus takes the bread and He holds the bread up and He says, what this is, my body. The bread then is a tangible sign of Jesus's body, which, as we know, would be nailed to the cross for our sins. He also takes the cup, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So, the cup and what's in the cup, wine, is, is, is a tangible sign of Jesus' blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, all right? So, the Lord's Supper is really a tangible sign of the gospel. In God's Word, uh, we hear the gospel. In the Lord's Supper, we see and we smell and we taste and we feel the gospel. And we see this spoken about wonderfully in question and answer 75. If you've hung out with me uh, for any, no, any amount of time, you know that I love question and answer 75. I say it probably every other time at least we take communion. This is what it says, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And then also, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves, and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, so surely He nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life. So, the Lord's Supper uh, is a tangible sign. One thing that I find out is that people, and, and I think this is part of our human nature, uh, we, are, we are really desperate, maybe that's not the right word, but we long for visual aids in worship, especially when it comes to, to God, right? Especially when it comes to God. 
we aren't simply content with hearing about God, but there's something in us that really wants to see God as well. Uh, and of course, this is why God gave us the second commandment, right? You shall have no carved images so that He might guide us and direct us in this matter because any image we actually come up with is going to be far too inferior uh, to represent actually what God is, Uh, and yet we should not ever forget that God has given us a visual aid of Himself. He has provided us with that representation of Himself that we long for, that, that representation that might scratch the itch and desire that we have to focus on something, something tangible in our relationship with God. And what is that thing that God has given us, that representation of Himself? It is the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Right? The Lord's Supper is a tangible sign. It is God's uh, visual aid, we might say, of Himself for His people. Second, the Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ. Like baptism, the Lord's Supper is not something we have invented or decided to do on our own. No, it is something that Jesus has instructed us to do. We see that in Luke 22, verse 19. And He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is My body which is given for you. What? Do this in remembrance of Me. A specific instruction to do this in remembrance of Him. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, we we see that it was, in fact, the habit and the practice of the early church to do this in remembrance of Jesus. So Jesus says in Luke's gospel, do this in remembrance of me. In the early church, we we see clearly the early church following Jesus' instruction. And so we say the Lord's Supper, it's a tangible sign given to us by Christ. Right? Now, as many of you know, um, I'm a big proponent of, of the regulative principle, and the regulative principle simply states that when we, we come together for worship, we worship in the way that God has instructed us to worship in His Word. And so we sing uh, because God has told us to sing, and we pray because God has told us to pray, and we preach the Word because God has told us to preach the Word, and we take an offering because God has told us to take an offering, right? We don't do these things because they seem good to us. We do them because God has made it clear that they're good to Him. Of course, included in those instructions for worship are uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? We do these things because God has told us to do them. They are His idea. Now, several weeks ago, we talked about how the sacraments confirm our faith. And as we did, we used the illustration of a handshake as the confirmation of a relationship. Generally, a handshake does not establish a friendship. A handshake confirms a friendship. I have shaken a number of your hands today and... I don't think the handshake in any one of those instances has established 
the relationship, right? The handshake's been a, a confirmation of the relationship that exists. But now let's take that a step further, right? I said this before, we were at a basketball game, we'll, we'll go to a soccer game this time, a little more springy. And uh, you, you walk into a soccer game, and from afar you make eye contact with a friend, and immediately you run over to that friend and you give that you 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 stick out your hand to give that friend a warm greeting and that friend in turn accepts your handshake and accepts your greeting now that's very nice right you're you're happy uh, that your friend accepted the handshake you feel good about the relationship that all certainly provides some measure of confirmation regarding your friendship but now imagine, right, you walk into that soccer game, you make eye contact with your friend, and your friend takes the initiative, and your friend makes a beeline to you, and your friend sticks out his hand before you can do anything. That makes you feel even better, doesn't it? That makes you realize that this friend, he really values you, and he really loves you, and he really appreciates you so much so that he's willing to come over, take the initiative to confirm the relationship. That's how it is. With baptism, that's how it is in the Lord's Supper. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, and in doing so, He takes the initiative, as it were, in putting the seal on our relationship with Him. He takes the initiative in confirming what already exists. So, the Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ Thirdly, to be received by faith. To be received by faith. And this is certainly what question and answer 76 is getting at. Question and answer 76 asks, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink His poured out blood? Now, you sort of need some historical context here to even understand why this question is being asked. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism was being written uh, in the context of stiff, stiff opposition uh, from the Roman Catholic Church. And we're going to talk about what the Roman Catholic Church means next time we're together when they talk about eating Christ's flesh and blood. Uh, but the reformers here and the writer of the catechism here are seeking to distinguish the reformed understanding of taking communion from the Roman Catholic understanding of taking communion. And both the reformers... And the Roman Catholics spoke of, in communion, eating Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood, but they didn't mean the exact same things by those phrases. And so far as we're concerned, so far as the Reformers were concerned, so far as the Catechism is concerned, when we speak about eating Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood, we're speaking about simply accepting with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, and, and by believing, receiving the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So the, the feeding, the eating we do as Reformed people is spiritual, in nature, we might say. Uh, we, we, we eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ, Christ's blood in a spiritual sense, and we do that by faith. We feed on Christ by faith. And Jesus says that in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All right? So, so, so the way any of us truly eats 
and drinks of Christ, feeds on Christ, is by faith alone. And it's important, and even in the Lord's Supper, this is the case, right? It's only as we partake of the Lord's Supper by faith, it's only as we let the bread and the cup point us to the greater reality and let our hearts take hold of Christ in that greater reality that, that the Lord's Supper is of any benefit to us. And, and this is important that we make this distinction and note because it keeps us from viewing the Lord's Supper in a superstitious way. And I would say that is exactly what the Roman Catholic Church does. They view the Lord's Supper in a superstitious way. All right, according to the Roman Catholic Church, the sacraments and in this case, the Lord's Supper, automatically, maybe they'd take exception with my word, but I don't see one around to actually do it, um, but this is, this is what R.C. Sproul tells me. We know he's got it all figured out. Uh, according to the Roman Catholic Church, the, the Lord's Supper automatically conveys grace to the recipient, all right? So essentially, the Roman Catholic Church says there is basically something magical about the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. The bread and the wine in and of themselves will uh, be a blessing to you and do have the capacity to deliver the grace of God to you, which is why they're so bound and determined to shove the Lord's Supper down people when they're dying, right? Because these things in and of themselves have power. We don't believe that. We say that it is only when the bread and the cup are received by faith in Jesus Christ that they convey grace to the recipient. Apart from faith in Jesus, there is absolutely no benefit to the Lord's Supper. In fact, I think we could say it's the opposite. Apart from faith in Jesus, the Lord's Supper is actually destructive. Apart from faith in Jesus, the Lord's Supper actually ushers in your condemnation, right? In, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says that apart from faith, we eat and we drink judgment to ourselves, all right? So apart from faith, the Lord's Supper will serve our condemnation rather than our salvation. So the Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ to be received by faith. And actually, we see something of this, I think, in the upper room as well. On the night before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, I think it, I don't know if it comes out in Luke's gospel. I know it comes out in uh, Matthew's gospel. Um, yeah, I think it's better in Matthew's gospel. It doesn't look like it's in Luke's. But in Matthew uh, 26, we read about the institution of the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Uh, but right before Jesus institutes the supper there, he says to his disciples, whom he's reclining at table with, one of you will betray me. And one by one, it seems, the disciples kind of go around the table and they say, surely not I, Lord, surely not I. But what's Jesus doing there? Well, it seems he's searching for faith. He's calling each of the disciples to ponder the reality of their relationship with him. He's calling each of the disciples to examine themselves which is what Paul says we should do and what we generally say we should do, right? Why does Christ do that? It's because their relationship with Christ matters in communion. 
The bread and the cup are simply tangible signs pointing to, to that greater spiritual reality. So the Lord's Supper is a tangible sign given to us by Christ to be received by faith. The last part is this, for the nourishment of our souls. For the nourishment of our souls. We don't have question and answer 77 uh, in the bulletin, and this kind of comes out of 77 if you want to check, check there. But um, question and answer 77 says, essentially, where does Christ promise to nourish and strengthen our souls uh, for eternal life? And then it quotes some Scripture passages. Uh, and if you read that answer, though... Um, the word that really jumps out to me, question answer 77, is the, word, is the word participation. And the catechism there is quoting from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation of the body of Christ? That word participation actually isn't a word I've... I've always seen it. It always sounded kind of funny to me. I'm going to be honest when I've just read it, but I kind of dwelt on it for a while this week. It's really fascinating, I think, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Uh, that word participation is translated from the Greek word koinonia, a pretty common Greek word. Uh, it's often translated fellowship. Uh, and, and really, Paul is saying that this is what we have with Christ through the Lord's Supper. We have fellowship. We have koinonia. We have union with His blood and with His body. And just think for a moment of those who have fellowship with Christ's body in Scripture. Think of, think of, think of those who touch Jesus. Think of the bleeding woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment. The blind man at Bethsaida, Jesus puts His finger, fingers uh, on the man's eyes. Uh, the leper of Mark 1, Jesus touches him. And he's clean. The widow's son of Luke 7, he's dead. Jesus touches his coffin and he rises. Right, so over and over and over again, we see in Scripture that when a believer touches Christ, when a believer has koinonia, fellowship, union with Christ, uh, he or she doesn't remain weak or infirmed or in need. No, he or she is healed. He or she is strengthened. He or she is raised. And now consider that in light of what we're told about the Lord's Supper. That in the Lord's Supper, we have, we have, we have participation, koinonia, fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus. And so it seems, it seems right, when we partake of the Lord's Supper and and this seems to me where Calvin landed on the whole issue. Uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have fellowship with Jesus, real fellowship with Jesus uh, in some mysterious, yet very real and very empowering way. And we must learn to expect then that, that such fellowship that we find in and through the Lord's Supper cannot but leave us nourished and strengthened in soul, right? Because no believer comes into contact with Jesus and remains unmoved and unwell. The Puritan Richard Baxter said, nowhere is God so near to man as in Jesus Christ. And nowhere is Christ so familiarly represented to us as in the Holy Sacrament. 
James Boyce, solid Reformed guy, at the heart of the present significance of the Lord's Supper is our communion or fellowship with Christ, hence the term communion service. In coming to this service, the believer comes to meet with Christ and have fellowship with Christ at His invitation. That got me really excited, actually, this afternoon when I sort of pondered that. And once again, it convicted me of something I've been convicted of often throughout my life, and it's that, it's that I have, uh, I think I carry generally much too low a view of the Lord's Supper. I would say I have been much too Zwinglian. I talked about Zwingli earlier, but much too Zwinglian in my approach. Zwingli, he was the reformer, kind of a weird guy. Joel, you were telling me he was kind of weird the other day. Yeah, that's why he doesn't have any followers that note that anymore. But, 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 but Zwingli had a pretty low view of the Lord's Supper compared to Luther and Calvin. In Zwingli's mind, the supper was, was simply just a memorial sacrifice. It was simply something that pointed beyond itself to Jesus. Now, we too believe that. We do. We believe the supper is a memorial sacrifice. We believe it's a sign, but yet we also believe what Paul says, that it is a participation, koinonia, fellowship, union with the body and blood of Jesus. That is, it's, it's, it's a memorial, <laughs> But it actually also goes beyond that. It's also communion with our blessed Savior. Right? We, we believe that when we come to the table, we, we meet with Christ and we draw near to Christ in a way that sort of defies explanation and yet is no less real. And I couldn't help but wonder as I thought of that if our, if our pushback against the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation which, as the catechism says wonderfully, is an abominable idolatry or something like that, has caused us to swing the pendulum too far the other way to the point where we maybe have dumbed down and simplified the Lord's Supper beyond what Scripture allows. For Jesus says, this is my body. And Jesus says, this is my blood. And the Apostle Paul says, the cup is nothing less than a participation in the blood, and the bread is nothing less than a participation in the body of Christ. It's profound. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to Thursday, coming to worship, celebrating the Lord's Supper. I pray we all come to see and know and understand more of what a blessing, what a blessing the Lord's Supper is. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are, well, I am, slow to hear what you have to say, slow to believe what you have to say, slow to grasp the significance and the wonder of your good gifts, and I suppose that's true for many of us. And so we ask that you would forgive us for our sins, and Lord, thank you for giving me some increased clarity and wonder around the Lord's Supper. I pray that you've given it to the others listening tonight as well, Lord, that we might be excited, that we might be eager to meet with our Savior in the bread and the cup. It's in His name we pray. Amen. 
We're going to stand and sing again. Before we do that, why don't we uh, stand for the Lord's blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song. Brothers and sisters, receive this parting blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. We're going to close with number 556 in the blue book, in the wrong book. 556, now thank we all our God. And I think there's just, what are we dealing here? We'll do one and three. Verses 1 and 3 of 556.